Alright, welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do uh, improvised horror stories. What I do is I pull out random titles, and then I just make up the stories from there. And if you have any titles you'd like to submit, you can send them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com, or just contact me directly. It's still October, and the season is ripe for horror. So I'm definitely adding, uh, going, I'm going with the same sound as last week for the synth. And also trying to, uh, charge up this episode with a bit more, uh, deliberation. to a comic shop yesterday, uh, today, excuse me, uh, at a Floating World Comics in Port located in, uh, Portland, Oregon. I picked up some, re picked up some, uh, really cool books, some, uh, reissues of old EC Horror comics, and, uh, the new Junji Ito book. And a magazine called, uh, Chips and Beer, which is a metal and comics magazine. I don't know if it's in print or not, but it's badass. I picked it up and I was looking at one of the features. And it just said, do you, rem do you remember where you were when Dio died? And I was just like, oh shit, I knew exactly where I was. And I picked up a few other uh, non-horror related comics as well. I don't quite know why I wanted to bring that up. I think part of it was uh, the first time uh, I've been in that comic shop since before the pandemic, you know. When I was there in uh, early 2020, February, I was uh, I went to see uh, Daniel Klaus uh, do a little Q&A and a reading there about a new uh, art book he was releasing. It was super cool. I even got a poster uh, from that event, which I didn't think they were still available, so that was awesome. Um, you know, yeah, again, I, uh, I bring it up because just, uh, emphasizing the importance of the arts and, uh, its ability to connect people, um, whether it's by proxy through the art or if you meet someone who encounters a similar love to it. I certainly don't want to beat a dead horse with it, but you know, times are tough, and it's still very medieval out there. So you really need to find those uh, moments of human connection, and those uh, little havens, and uh, an oasis here and there, uh, wherever you can find it. I guess that's all I have to say about it, you know. It's really whole, really the whole point of the show, um, if I had to surmise it, which I've talked about plenty of times. But anyway, you know, recording this on October 20th, 2021. Horror season is uh, upon us. 
So let's get into it. Also, the comics I got today, I have them out displayed in front of me uh, in the name of inspiration. So we'll see how that influences the episode. But anyway, this story is called, How Many Dollars Did You Find? It was a bit of a scavenger hunt uh, that Terry and Ben had going for them. It wasn't one with a lot of bells and whistles. They didn't have quite an elaborate list. But one thing they did notice, uh, since the pandemic started, it was much easier to find like loose change uh, around on the streets. Even whole quarters, you know, people wouldn't touch them. They assumed it was some sort of a sanitary issue. You know, I wouldn't want to catch anything or anything like that. Even after being vaccinated, it completely uh, transformed people's uh, sanitation habits. So it was easier to find this loose change. Um, but still a little bit harder to find uh, full dollars. But you know, people still made the effort to find those and whatnot, pick those up. Wouldn't quite leave them astray. But what does a dollar mean anymore anyway? Still, one day uh, on a weekend, uh, between school, uh, Terry and Ben had an idea of a form of a scavenger hunt. It was um, just walking around downtown and finding the most uh, stray dollars that they could find. They could be, they could have a tear in them, they could be uh, stained or had blood on them or whatever. As long as they could function as legal tender.
seemed like a simple game at first. Terry was just like, alright, should we uh, set up some any more ground rules besides it having to be legal tender? And Ben was just like, oh no, I think uh, that's all it has to be. I mean, obviously it doesn't have to come from your pocket, but you know, I trust you not to be a dick about it. And then Terry was just like, no, no, I wouldn't do that. Ben was just like, alright then, uh, let's head out. So Terry started to walk around the streets in downtown. It was not a very complex game, for sure. Terry kind of equated it to, uh, looking for four-leaf clovers, or, uh, shooting stars, you know. You weren't able to just like look at it, look for it like ex extremely uh, deliberately. It's not something you could force finding. Uh, you know, you just had to let it come to you, let it appear in your periphery. You needed a very specific grounded awareness to have things like shooting stars or four-leaf clovers or stray dollars to come out uh, in your line of sight. That was, that was an approach Terry had that uh, worked very well in the past. Oh, he did forgot to ask. He did forget to ask Ben uh, if loose change counted his, do uh, his dollars. You know, like those gold dollars that used to be around, or those half dollars with JFK on it, or whoever was on it. But he spent that next hour just, uh, you know, combing the street, looking in sewer grates. It was a windy day, so it was likely that it'll blow around and whatnot, so surely he'd find something. It was also a Saturday. So people were out and about. Then again, people didn't use cash as much as they used to, so there's also that added challenge to it. But still, that didn't deter Terry in any way. And he found some loose change, some dimes and nickels, uh, and plenty of pennies, but still no dollars. We found one that was in an alley. It was just a one dollar worth of piece. Uh, he found a dollar. It seemed pretty intact. And he pulled at it, and there was a piece of gum on the other side. He thought that was gross. He didn't know people still did that. You know, especially when most people were at a mutual health risk. But even still, he uh, took one of his nickels and then uh pried the gum off but still he was excited to find a dollar 
He didn't expect he'd find any. So still combing the streets, uh, he saw Ben on the next block, uh, panhandling by a bus station, or a bus stop, rather. coming up to people and talking to them, you know. And Terry started to walk toward him and started to see, like, you know. Ben was certainly presentable, just seemed someone seemed like someone in a tight spot that needed a little bit of fare. And then Terry saw someone give Ben a dollar and uh two quarters. Ben was just like, oh, thank you, thank you. And then Terry was just like, Ben, what are you doing? And Ben was just like, what? I'm trying to get some dollars. And then Terry said, yeah, but I thought you said we were supposed to, like, find dollars on the street. And Ben was just like, no, no, I said we had to find dollars. You know, I never said the conditions of that, you know. You can get the dollars however you want. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna rely on the goodness of other people's hearts to get some dollars, some loose change and whatnot. And Terry was just like, oh, so loose change counts too? And Ben was just like, sure, why not? It's, there's some laying around here and there, you know? I already got three dollars worth in, like, dimes and nickels. And Terry was just like, well, that's not fair, man. You didn't say that earlier. And Ben was just like, look, it's a hustle, you know? Nothing wrong with losing a scavenger hunt, you know? We can just, like, get some pizza afterwards, it's fine, you know? And Terry's like, no, no, no. Before, how about this? Before the sun sets, you know, I'm gonna get more dollars than you. And Ben was just like, alright, sure. Terry left feeling flustered, still looking for dollars on the ground. But he was, uh, he wasn't as uh, socially adept as Ben. So he just started to uh, ask random people for money without real strategy, and a lot of people shoot him away. he started to feel weird about it, uh, having his hand out when there were people around on the block, you know, who also had their hand out but actually needed the money. And then Terry's just like, you know, I'm just gonna fucking find dollars. It can happen, you know, just gonna find it. I think that'll be cool. I'm good at it. You know, I don't care how much loose change Ben can get. So Terry kept looking. Scouting the ground and whatnot.
Perry was at it all afternoon, but he still wasn't having any luck. You saw the sun was starting to set a little bit. And it was almost time to rendezvous with Ben. Still, Terry kept looking. He even started to drizzle a little bit. He didn't like being out in the rain, you know, feeling so desperate, but he still was at it. It wasn't a heavy rain. It wasn't a. It wasn't a heavy rain. Uh, just a light drizzle. But the wind was strong. Terry went back to the same alley where he found that uh, dollar with the bubblegum. Maybe he'd have more luck there. And then he did. He saw a crumpled up dollar at the uh, end of the alley. Terry was stoked. He started to walk toward it, but then the wind blew, and the dollar started to fly further away from him. Then Terry started to chase after it. He even started to run faster, and then a huge gust of wind came. Until the dollar fell in a sewer grate. And then Terry was just like, oh shit, god damn it. Started to look inside. Then he had a crazy thought of trying to like uh trying to climb in. Maybe he could reach for it. Reach his arm in and wasn't having any like any luck. And then he lightly uh entertaining the idea of actually going after it, he lightly jostled the grate, and it popped right open. And he thought, oh that's weird. And he thought to himself, the risk of it. And he's like, you know, I'll just be in and out. It'll be fine. That's as far as he rationalized it uh, to justify it. So he climbed down into the sewer grate. And he was faced with this long tunnel. Enough for him to walk in. The rain above them started to get heavier, and rain started to gush in the great hole above him. He put the grate back, but not attaching it fully, so people would, uh, no one would be tempted to actually reattach the grate. But he's still able to climb out when he found the dollar. But as the rain fell harder, uh, there was more water that flowed at the bottom of the tunnel. So Terry just followed the direction that it was going. He took out his phone and took uh, turned on the flashlight, and he started to look for this dollar. It was crumpled up in a very specific way, so it would stand out to his eye. 
looked like someone was trying to uh, craft some origami, and then they were just like, fuck it, and then crumpled it up. But still, Terry had the uh, same philosophy he had with uh, four-leaf clovers and shooting stars. He didn't exert too much effort or labor to find the dollar, just keep his eyes open and let it appear to him. He started walking down the tunnel for about 10 minutes at that point. And then he was thinking to himself, all right, so how much is this dollar actually worth it? And then he was just like, no, fuck it, I'm already down here. Just get the dollar and get out. He kept walking down the sewer. The smell started to change. It didn't already smell good at all, but there's something more rancid about it. He thought maybe it was dead rats, dead rodents, or something. But he kept walking. Eventually the tunnel started to look a little bit different. It almost looked... decorated a little bit. There's something strung up, some sort of a... Uh, that he couldn't quite put his finger on. It looked kind of like a netting a little bit. You know, something that would... Uh, work for fishing or something, or uh, as a form of a uh, camo when you're hunting. He kept walking down a tunnel, then he saw a, a little light flicker further off. Down the tunnel, there's one little entryway to the side. It looked like it was kind of carved out a little bit. And the water from the tunnel was also pouring into it. And from that entryway was where the light was flickering. So Terry turned into it. And he wished he didn't. It wasn't a very large catacomb, but it was a it was a tight space, you know. The interior was maybe the size of a shack. But the flickering light came from a candle. And it accompanied some sounds. A gnarling, gnashing sloppy, sticking sound.
there's someone hunched over by the candle, stooped down, almost looking human, but very far from it. Terry could see the curvatures in the creature's spine, the bones sticking out. its long, thin arms. And wearing some sort of a raggy garment beneath, it, beneath uh, its torso. A little bit of hair here and there, but a lot of uh, bald patches and warts. But it made that sound, that uh, slow grinding, gnarling, gnashing sound. Terry didn't move, he just watched. Then he started to look around the room a little bit. The water from the tunnel was uh, forming a pool by the entry. But what sat in the puddle were bones. A lot of skulls, a lot of bone, uh, and bones of humans. It's still a little bit of meat and flesh on them. And the creature is uh, hunched forward with his back facing uh, Terry, gnarling and gnashing. And then it would uh, toss a bone behind it, and it would land in the puddle adding to the collection. It's getting to the point where there's a little pile that was uh, set in on the puddle where it wasn't floating. But it was just one little candle that was lighting the whole room. But Terry was able to see everything. All the shadows around that uh, accentuated and uh, gnarled every shape that was presented to him. But he looked at the puddle and he saw a skull in it with one eyeball in it. And next to that skull was the dollar. Still crumpled up in the same way that he saw that alley. He looked at the dollar, then looked at the creature, and then back at the dollar again. And he thought to himself, fuck. How much is this dollar worth it? And he swallowed his saliva a little bit, and he just thought, just in and out. That's all you gotta do. Just get the money and go. He reached for it. Slowly. As he reached for it, it seemed like the uh, the gnarling and gnashing sounds from the creature seemed to slow down time. 
right when Terry put his fingers on that dollar, the sound stopped. Terry looked up, and the creature slowly turned around and looked at Terry. Again, the creature had a face that looked human, but far from it. And in the same moment of a heartbeat, Terry clutched the dollar and ran out. Ran the way he came. He could hear a blood-curdling scream from behind him. The creature was chasing him. He didn't dare to look back, he just kept running forward. He could hear the creature at the bottom of the tunnel. And also climb on the walls and the roof of the tunnel as well. The rain must have picked up uh, since he was in the sewer. Because the water uh, gushed toward him and it was slowing him down. as fast as he could, but it wasn't enough. He ran far enough down the tunnel where he could see the sewer light and a waterfall of rain that came from it. He tried to reach up to the sewer and jump up, but the creature was already there. Right as Terry jumped toward the sewer upwards, the creature lunged at him. Meanwhile, outside, on the streets of downtown, the sun had already set, the rain was picking up eating more, and Ben was eating pizza alone. Wondering where Terry went. Oh, I liked that one. That was cool. That one definitely had an old EC comics vibe to it for sure. Alright. This next story is called. Manhattan-style chowder.
Bobby, oh my god, will you just stop ranting about this chowder? But Bobby didn't let up. No, oh, dude, it's fucking chowder, man. It's This is Manhattan-style chowder. It's, this is the best shit you're ever gonna try, ever. Cindy, Glenn, and Stewart, uh, walked alongside him. While Bobby just kept ranting about this chowder. This is, you know, this chowder fucking rocked my world, you know? It's really all I have to say about it. Like, you know, I had this chowder, you know, once when I was like, uh, 20, right? You know? You know, when you're. When you're living in Connecticut, you know? Not too much shit is going on, you know? As much as I'm happy about where I came from. But goddamn, this chowder, I'd go there every time, you know? It was never like a big party or anything. But one thing I would do was, uh, go to the diner and get this chowder. This diner has the best fucking Manhattan-style chowder that you're ever gonna find on the planet. And Sydney groaned. Oh, is it, uh, better than the Manhattan? And then Bobby said, dude, I've had, I've had chowder in Manhattan in many places ever since I became a chowder aficionado. And then Cindy was like, you're not a chowder aficionado. What the fuck are you talking about? And Bobby said, dude, I'm talking about chowder. Like, that's my fucking shit. All right. Like, I've had chowder in Manhattan. It's garbage. I had chowder that was $15 and it was shit. Compared to this $2 chowder in fucking Connecticut, I gotta say. And then Stewart said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm down for trying the chowder. And then Glenn was just like, yeah, I mean, I've had it, it's, it's fine. And then Bobby said, oh, Glenn, what do you fucking know about chowder, man? And Glenn, Glenn was just like, hey, man, I'm from the same hometown as you, alright? Like, I know... I've, I've had this chowder, but it's, it's good chowder. I'm not, totally not knocking it at all. I'm just saying, you're a little bit obsessed with this chowder, and it's a, it's a little weird. And Bobby was just like, nah, I'm not obsessed with shit, man. What are you talking about? This fucking chowder is so... Ah, oh, goddamn, I love this chowder. It, like, you can taste, like, the clams in it, you know? It's a fucking clam chowder. It's make, sometimes they make it cheesy or creamy. They can make it however you want. You can... Specify what kind of chowder you want, they'll fucking do it, you know? They even make, like, a fucking pizza chowder, you know? And Cindy was just like, well, why pizza chowder, really? And then Bobby was just like, yeah, it was just a fucking... Look, It's I was shit-faced once. They were fielding a lot of drunks, you know, at, like, 3 a.m. or whatever. And me and Glenn, you were there, and Glenn was just like, yeah, I was there. And then Bobby went on to say, well, yeah, I fucking... So I went there, and I was just like, yeah, I want pizza do you got pizza and they're just like we don't got pizza and i was just like well do you go can you give me a pizza chowder then and then the diner people were just like sure we can get you a fucking pizza chowder whatever and then they got the pizza chowder with goopy cheese in it and it was goddamn amazing in the end Sydney didn't want to be a naysayer or anything like that, but she was definitely just like, I don't think, uh, I don't think it still counts as chowder if you just put a bunch of 
bunch of pizza shit in it. And Bagus is like, well, wait, do you have this chowder? Stuart looked over at Glenn and was like, Glenn, you're not excited about the chowder? And Glenn was just like, I'm, I'm not going to get it. I've had it before, you know, it's fine. It's good chowder. I get why people were into it, you know. But usually, I usually get chowder if I'm like right on like the coast somewhere or something, you know. That's when I'll get chowder. But I'm not gonna get it like somewhere in, in Connecticut, you know. It's just, uh, I've expanded my horizons in the world of chowder. And then Bobby was just like, well, whatever. You just, you just don't know chowder. That's your big problem, Glenn. And Glenn was just like, all right, Bobby. Well, I don't, listen, I don't, listen, it's good. I'm not disagreeing with you. You don't gotta shout. And then Bobby was like, I'm not shouting. I'm just telling you. Chowder's a fucking bomb. And Cindy was like, I'm so fucking sick of talking about chowder. Goddamn. And then Stuart was like, is this the place here? They were making the walk. They were all... They were all pals in college, and they all, uh... In New York. And they all decided to visit uh, Bobby and Glenn's hometown, because they were going to make a visit. And they were just like, oh, why not make it a thing? You know, hang out in the country and whatnot. You know, get a little slice of our hometown, you know? It'll be cool. It'll be an interesting experience. But yeah, they decided to walk there uh, to get the scenic route. And then they were going to go to a bar that uh, Glenn and uh, Bobby were into. And Bobby was like, oh, yes, shit, this is it. This is the fucking place. The fucking diner right here. So they go in and get seated. Cindy and Stewart uh, assessed the place, you know. It just looked like a, you know, what you would find uh, at a small town diner, you know. So when they were seated, uh, Stuart kind of nudged Glenn a little bit. He was just like, yeah, so he's... This guy fucking loves his hometown, huh? Then Glenn nodded, and he was like, yeah, Bobby's been, you know, a bit, bit homesick. Uh, since starting college and all that, you know. Like, he's into New York. Thinks he's getting a good education. An overpriced one, but he's certainly uh, happy with what he's learning. But, uh, yeah, you know, um, he just loves he just loves his town, you know? Even if, he got a, even if he got his degree, I think he'd still, like, move back here, you know? He's just really, it's really a big part of him. It's part of me, too, but I want to, I want to see other shit, you know? And Cindy was looking at the menu. And she was just like, yeah, it feels like I've been to at least, like, 50 of these types of restaurants, you know? 
scattered out across like America, you know. They all become interchangeable at some point. Then Glenn said, well, I think every diner has its own personality, you know. I wouldn't diminish it in that way. And then Bobby was just like, yeah, and this place has the motherfucking chowder. So the waitress comes by and she's just like, alright, you wanna... Any drinks for anyone? And they all order coffee, you know. She's like, alright, do you know what you want to eat at all? And then Bobby was just like, I want the chowder. And then the waitress is like, I know Bobby, I could've fucking guessed that. Like, you know, you're in New York, you have access to an international cuisine international set of cuisines, but I always knew you'd come back for the fucking chowder. And then Bobby was just like, hell yeah, that's right. And then Glenn was just like, yeah, I'm gonna start with the chowder too. I'm gonna get that as a appetizer, and I'll figure out what one for I want for a meal later. And then Cindy was just like, yeah, I'll get the chowder. So the waitress left. Bobby couldn't even sit still in a seat. He was practically like vibrating, you know, his fists were on the table and kind of like shaking it a little bit. Silverware was silverware was rattling and all that. And Cindy was just like, You're so goddamn excited about this chowder, huh? And then Bobby said, I just can't help it, you know? I just Alright, maybe, maybe fucking Glenn over here is right, and that, you know, maybe it's not world-class chowder, I don't know, but, like, you know, like, you know, I, when I was growing up here in Connecticut, you know, this is where I was learning to fathom the universe, you know, like, everything, this whole environment is just so natural and normal to me, you know, so, and the chowder is, like, one of the best parts of that, as far as, like, a creature comfort or whatever, so... You know, this fucking chowder really... Fuck. I just... It moves me in a way that no other chowder can. I can't even describe it, you know? But I'm not trying to, like, lead you down, like, a dark path of mediocre chowder or anything. And Glenn nodded and was just like, well, it is, it is good chowder. I can attest to that, for sure. And Stuart's like, yeah, I'm getting pretty excited for the chowder, too. And Cindy was just like, yeah, I'm excited to try it. I wanna, I wanna see what this chowder is all about. So the waitress comes and brings the coffees. She leaves and then comes back with the Manhattan sour, sour the uh, with the Manhattan style chowder, three bowls. Bobby was just like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening.
come with a little packet of oyster crackers. And Bobby just said, oh, the oyster crackers are the best part. You gotta like open the bag and then drop them in and then you eat them with your spoon and it's all soaked with the chowder and all that. And Cindy was just like, I know how to eat chowder. They all start eating the chowder. And Bobby was just like, well, what do you all think? Stuart was just like, you know what, that's pretty, that's pretty good chowder, yeah. I mean, if I, you know, I came from a small town too in Jersey, you know, if there was a place in my town that made chowder this good, I'd be, that would be like my pride and joy too. And Bobby was just like, right, it's fucking good, yeah. And Cindy was just like, okay, I can, I can see why you're into it, you know. And Bobby started to get a little bummed out. You don't, you don't like the chowder? Cindy was just like, no, I I like the chowder. Um, it's just you know, it's it's good. It's good. It's this is this is good chowder. It's, sol it's a solid meal or an appetizer. You know, I don't really fill up on chowder. I got a burger, but I approve. I approve of this chowder. This is good chowder. Thank you, Bobby, for introducing it. Again, Bobby started to get a little bit bummed out. I thought you'd. I thought you would like it more, I guess, is what I'm, what I was hoping for. And then Cindy said, Bobby, this is, this is fucking good chowder. Like, I'm not, look, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, like, yeah, yeah, it's good chowder. And then Glenn just said to Bobby, well, like, she likes to chowder, Bobby. And Bobby was just like, all right, well, what do you not like about it? Cindy was just like, there's, it's, listen, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, this is good chowder. I mean that sincerely. This is a great recommendation. I'm excited to try some of the food here at the Steiner. I'm excited for the bar we're going to later. It's good chowder, all right? I, I mean, I've, I've, you know what, I've, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll have, I've had better chowder out there, you know? Like, I'm with Glenn, I like to go to, like, the shore and, like, get chowder there, you know? There's some chowder place there's one chowder place in Maryland that I fucking love but like this is this is good chowder this is on a this is on a top this is on a top 10 to 15 list of chowders Bobby was just like okay that's that's cool it's fine yeah good I'm I'm glad I'm glad you like it I think that's that's great. I'm really happy for you. And then Glenn was just like, Bobby, come on. And Bobby was like, no, you... Listen, I was so excited about this chowder. I know I was exaggerating a little bit. I didn't mean to build it up or anything, but it's just good chowder. But you know what? You followed my recommendation and you had the chowder and that's great. And now you have good chowder, so good. I'm, that's awesome. That's... 
good. I'm... And then Cindy said, Bobby, are you okay? Bobby was like, I just... I fucking love this chowder so much. You have no... Like, this is what I ate when I, the day after my dad died, you know? This is just... This chowder was just, like, there for me when I needed it. And I thought I could share that, um... That joy of eating this chowder with you. Um... I, you know, I... It's... Look, um... I'm, look, okay. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. This is just... It's good chowder. <sighs> Fuck. Glenn, come on. It's... This chowder's awesome, alright? Don't worry about it. And Bobby was just like, Glenn, you didn't even... You didn't even eat the chowder, okay? I don't even want to fucking hear what you have to say about chowder. And then Glenn was just like, Bobby, come on. Bobby. Bobby. Bobby was just like, oh, fuck. God fucking damn it. Oh my god, shit. God damn it. Oh my god. Man, it's all coming back, man. It's fucking... It's all coming back. They were all quiet for a while. Bobby was just sitting quietly with his fingers in his eye sockets, just processing something. They all sat quietly together um, when the waitress brought their meals. She asked for, you know, anyone want any coffee or anything? And Glenn was just like, no, no, we're, we're good, thank you. And then the waitress was like, so, Bobby, so how's the chowder? Cindy sighed and was just like, this is... But this is the best chowder that Connecticut probably has to offer. And then Bobby was just like, oh, fuck. God damn it. And the waitress was like, yeah, sure is. It's great chowder. And Seward was like, yeah, this is awesome. And then the waitress went off. And then Bobby was just like, the best chowder in Connecticut. Could you be more left-handed, you know, Cindy? Cindy was just like, it's probably it's true, right? Probably. And Glenn was just like, it probably is the best chowder in Connecticut, you know? And Bobby was just like, alright. Alright, fine. I'm glad you like the chowder. You know, you don't have to sing a song about it or anything, but just... I don't know, I don't know why I even told you about the chowder if you didn't even, if you weren't even crazy about it. And Cindy was just like, dude, it's good chowder. Like, don't worry about it, you know? And Bobby was just like, yeah, okay, alright. <sighs> so they started to eat their uh, meals, usually uh, different kind of burgers and sandwiches that they got. Everyone started eating except Bobby. Glenn was just like, Bobby, you're not uh, eating anything? And Bobby was just like, I'm not, uh, I kind of lost my appetite, you know? I filled up on chowder. You know, what can I say? <laughs> it's just so fucking good. I could eat three bowls of that, you know? I just appreciate chowder, that's all. I appreciate good chowder. You know, this, uh, you know, this is Manhattan-style chowder that does it better than Manhattan, and I just, you know, we gotta... I don't, I don't know. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about me. I'm just gonna fucking... 
It's a quietly drink coffee. I'm excited to drink with all of you, my friends. This is great. Cindy just said to herself, fuck man, what am I... What the fuck am I doing in Connecticut? Shit. This next story is called Two Wicker Rocking Chairs. There's an old museum in Connecticut. It's not very grandiose. But it specializes in different regional artifacts. A lot of farming equipment. A lot of old medicine bottles. really prime objects from the colonial era of uh, New England and the Mid-Atlantic region. It's a cool spot to visit, you know. It uh, really contextualizes the history in America in a way that's refreshing, you know. There's not a lot of bullshit or propaganda uh, assigned to it. It's just a lot of, like, these were the things around during that time, you know. Very simple, you know. There's one peculiar part of the museum. It's kind of a zone exhibit, really. There's this one area that was a uh, that section off by glass. Most of the mu museum is really just like a very large house, you know. 
go room to room and check things out. Every room has a theme and all that. But this one spot is a room all of its own. There's one door to get in, uh, but the staff doesn't permit anyone to go through it. But in this stone room, there's other some objects objects around, you know. Some board pitch, old pitchforks and hose and all that hanging from the walls. Some old oil lanterns. But the centerpiece of this room is two wicker rocking chairs. No one sat in them. No one was permitted to sit in them. They just existed in this exhibit. And there's a little plaque by the exhibit uh, that shows a brief blurb of just like, oh yes, these chairs are haunted, you know. If you sit in them, you die. Really that simple. And no one was allowed to sit in them. Not necessarily for that reason, but because these chairs are old. They're around for a while. But some paranormal, paranormal uh, speculators that would come by the exhibit would find it very strange that these two chairs had so much specific attention if they weren't actually haunted or mysterious or, in, uh, or embedded with mysterious paranormal properties or any other field of speculation. one guy named uh, Jerry who saw the rocking chairs and it piqued his interest. So he chatted with one of the uh, curators, the staff members. He was just like, yeah, so no one can, no one's allowed to sit in those chairs at all, not even the staff. And then she was just like, no, not even the staff, you know. They're, they're old, you know. And then Jerry was like, what's the real reason? the staff member, she was just like, well, I mean, they're, we don't let any people touch the objects in here, you know? Like the oils from people's hands and fingers and skin, you know, it can tear apart old artifacts at a faster rate, you know? And we really want to preserve this stuff as much as we can, you know? We have some old arrowheads and native artifacts in the other room, and we don't, we don't let anyone in there because we don't want them to wither quicker. And Jerry was like, okay, well then tell me this, and be honest. So how many people that you know, since working here, sat in one of those two chairs, and then died? Staff member uh, nodded a bit, thought about the question carefully. Jerry didn't know if she was thinking about how to answer that question, uh, the gauge the metric of it, or if she was deciding whether or not to answer honestly. 
And then she took a quick breath, and then she said, I've known three people ever to sit on those wicker chairs, and they're all dead. And Jericho's like, oh shit, really? So they are haunted. And the staff member says, I'm not saying that. I'm not qualified enough to say that. But I can say that I have seen these chairs rock on their own. And then Jerry said, okay. Okay. What else would happen when they'd rock on their own? staff member said, well, I don't know, they say they're, um, occupied by two ghosts, um, I don't know if it was a, a man and a wife, two brothers, two sisters, two cousins, I don't really know the story behind these chairs, but surely even the undead, um, need a place to sit. said, okay, that's cool. Well, thanks for answering my questions. Jerry started to walk around the, uh, the museum a little bit more. But he kept glancing at the rocking chair exhibit, the uh, door that led to it. Just glancing over once in a while. But the staff member he was talking to was standing really close to that door. But then when he saw someone, uh, come up to her and ask her a question, and as she was answering it, she was looking away, and Jerry slowly started to walk toward the door, tried to open it quietly, and then went in, but it wasn't quiet enough. The staff member immediately noticed once uh, he opened the door, and she was like, sir, sir, Jerry went in quick. Walked very closely to the wicker chairs. And the staff member just looked at him, and she just said, Do not sit in either of those chairs. Then Jerry just had his hands up, and then he slowly lowered himself on one of the chairs. He sat there for a bit. He was having fun with it. 
He was starting to enjoy it, yeah. Got his got his arms on the armrests. He was rocking back and forth. He was like, yeah, I can get into this. I can see myself as like a, some farmer from the 1870s wanting to chill out for an afternoon. Like, yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. Staff member's face just kind of sank. Just, you know, all the urgency left from her face. Because to her, it didn't matter anymore whether he got up from the chair sooner or later. He already sat in the chair, and the damage was done. And then Jairus is like, yeah, this seems pretty sturdy. The staff member just looked at him, and she was just like, are you done? And Jerry got up and said, yeah, yeah, I had my fun. So I'm not dead, so I got that going for me. And the staff member was just like, just get fucking back to the main visitor area. And Jerry was like, hey, that's really rude. You don't gotta speak to me like that. And she's like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Just go. Get out of here. And then Jerry went out feeling victorious. He went through to the restroom museum, uh, feeling in charge or something, you know, like, yeah, I fucking, I fucking sat in that chair, you know, didn't break it at all, no reason, you know, no reason not sitting it, you know, he's feeling pretty, pretty fly, pretty cool about himself, you know, feeling like real, like a real big shit, you know. He ended up feeling less like a big shit. As the weeks went on and he moved on to other things. About two months went by and... You know, he didn't even think about that chair at all. Just went upon, went upon his business, you know. And then, uh... He had to, he had to take a flight. Uh, from Connecticut uh, to Oregon for some business. And the plane crashed uh, in the Rocky Mountains. And then Jerry died. But his soul remained on Earth. He could only process so much as a spirit, you know. He had a faint idea of who he was. He had certain memories intact, certain drives and motivations, things that were harder to let go of. But he knew himself enough that he was alright, named Jerry. I'm dead. Don't know why I'm a ghost-ish spirit thing. But he just had a loose awareness of things. He would just float around, you know. He would find himself and find himself in familiar areas, places that he grew up, places that he worked and lived where he raised his family. In some places he's never even been to, both on the earth, on this plane, and then off earth, off this plane. The most frustrating thing about being the spirit for Jerry 
because you could never fully process or fathom anything. You couldn't make any proper deductions or any conclusions. All he had was leftover experiences that he couldn't put to any use. Just these perpetual mundane spiritual activities that became very, very repetitive very, very quickly. But then one thing that started happening, uh, there was a frequent place you'd always return to. Not by his will, but by uh, forces beyond his understanding, beyond what he could ever understand. It's not like, a lot like being alive, of never quite being able to fully fathom everything long enough to really make sense of it. But Jerry's spirit would always find himself at that museum in Connecticut, and in that room with the two wicker chairs. And whenever he saw the two wicker chairs, he would think to himself, ah, I need to sit down. And then he would sit in the wicker chair. Sometimes he would rock it, sometimes he would be completely still. Sometimes there would be people in the museum, and sometimes not. But he'd always find himself in that room, more so than the places he grew up, the places he worked and traveled, the places where he raised his family and spent time with them. He always found his way back to that room with the wicker chairs. Always yo-yoing back. And there were moments in his spiritual form where he almost crossed over to whatever came after this. Whether it was a nothingness or this whole other random place where everything was different and nothing was fathomable from here. He'd always feel like he was at the precipice of it. He felt a calling to it. He'd always think, yes, this is where I'm meant to go. This is what's next. This is the inevitable next step. I must go here. But whenever he got close to it, being ready to cross over, he'd always find himself back into that room with the wicker chairs. Sometimes he, when he was there, he would find remnants of other spirits there. They weren't quite like him, and he couldn't fully perceive them. They seemed a little bit more wither, withered away, hollowed out or deteriorated, whatever word you want to use, but just lesser, faded spirits, I would suppose. And sometimes one of those uh, spirits would be in the other chair. Jerry would sit in one chair and they'd both just sit there together 
just passing the time. spirit version of Jerry wasn't the alive version of Jerry, only had some desires, some habits that still, and some, some of the, some higher, some habits and desires that still stuck with him, but nothing too concrete, just knowing, but he was at a point, uh, when he was ready to cross over, and that was his main drive, his main goal, if he could ever have one. But every time he would try to cross over, he would just return to that room with the wicker chairs. It would get to the point where he wasn't able to find his, uh, where he grew up, where he raised his family, where he worked, where he traveled. He wasn't able to find those places anymore. He would always be back to that room with the wicker chairs. Float around a little bit in space, in the ether whatever you want to call it, and then back to that room once again. And he felt himself fading, but not to where people cross over. He just felt like he was a lesser existence and a lesser presence. But after one time, uh... After one time he tried to cross over, his most fervent attempt at it since passing on, he returned right back to the room with the wicker chairs. And this was on a day when a lot of people were at the museum that day. Um, it might have been Mother's Day, where families were coming to visit uh, all these artifacts, and all, seeing all this fascinating history. And once Jerry returned himself in the room, not really fathom, fathoming anything else, or really caring. He just thought, huh, I have to sit down. And then he would sit on one of the wicker chairs once again. And he felt very fatigued, especially this time. And he just felt a need to relax. So he tried to rock the chair but it only nudged ever so slightly back and forth. Maybe an inch or half an inch in each direction. But past the window was the same staff member uh, that Jerry approached uh, when he was alive. The staff member that told him not to sit in one of the wicker chairs. she just turned back to the exhibit and saw the wicker chair that Jerry sat in. She couldn't see Jerry, but she saw the rocking chair move slowly and steadily back and forth, barely perceptible to the human eye. But this staff member worked there long enough to be able to see it. As she just looked at the chair with this sad, knowing glance, She didn't, she didn't know what she knew, but she knew. And in that moment, Jerry knew as well, and he finally understood.
He understood why she didn't want him to sit in the wicker chair. Well, that's Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Perezzi. Yeah, there are some real zingers on that one. Anyway, good night. <laughs>